Today we're starting the bad boys of Easter, and there is something that Christians do that um, baffles non-Christians, and quite honestly, it's very difficult for Christians to explain. Here it is. Christians resist the God we say we trust. Now, nobody in, in here has ever done it. Nobody who's watching us Facebook Live, nobody's done that, but we know Christians who've resisted God, right? No, no, no. How many of you have resisted God's plan? I think if you are a Christ follower and you're breathing, you have resisted at some point. And, and non-believers find this kind of shocking, and they actually have a word for it. You know what the word is? Hypocrisy. And they're right. We have a hard time explaining this. Here, here's the definition of hypocrisy. It's a pretense of having a virtuous character. It's a pretense of moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does, principles that one does not really possess. You see, if we're honest today, we're going to have to say that, that Christians spend the majority of our time resisting God's plan for our life. Would, would you agree with that? How can we say we trust God and have anyone take us seriously if the majority of our time is spent resisting that God's plan for our life? So today we're going to look at three men. We're going to start a series where we look at three men that were in the, the life of Jesus who re resisted Jesus's plan because they thought their plan for their life was better than Jesus' plan. And um, if we take an honest look at them, I think we're going to have to admit there's a little bit of all three of these men in every one of us. And here's the irony of them resisting. Their, their stories of resistance actually illustrate the foolishness of resisting God's plan. Now, if these men in scripture, if their stories of resistance illustrate God, uh, the foolishness of resisting God's plan, that means your stories of resistance, my stories of resistance will also illustrate the foolishness of resisting God's plan. And here's the other thing. Your stories of resistance, my stories of resistance will be shared with our kids, our grandkids on down through the generations of what not to do. The first resistor we're going to look at today is named Joseph Caiaphas. You've probably heard him referred to as Caiaphas. His, his full name was Joseph Caiaphas. He was the Jewish high priest from AD 18 until 36. Now, let me explain to you what this means. Best way I can illustrate it is for the Jewish nation, the high priest would be like the Pope is to the Catholic Church. Everybody would know him. He is the highest, supposed to be religious figure, but this guy... Joseph Caiaphas was part of the uh, political running of the temple for 40 years. I say political because by this time, the high priest had nothing to do with being appointed by God the way God told him to in the Old Testament. The high priest at this point was appointed by the Roman government. So he was a political appointment and he was supposed to appease Rome. Now, the thing about Caiaphas, you need to understand his father-in-law, Annas, was, a, was the high priest before him. He was deposed. He did something that made some Roman mad. So that Roman made, uh, deposed him from being the high priest. Five of Annas's sons, so Caiaphas's brothers-in-law, had also been the high priest, and now here Caiaphas becomes the high priest. Um, they were a dynasty of priests at this time, and um, in that society, to be a priest, to be the high priest, meant you were very wealthy and very well-connected politically. Now, part of the reason you were wealthy is because in the Old Testament, the Jews were told to pay a temple tax once a year. Every good Jew all over the known world would pay a temple tax. This wasn't the Roman tax. So like uh, Matthew, we know he was a tax collector. People despised them because they worked for the Romans. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. People despised him. Not these tax collectors. These tax collectors were nationalists. They worked for the temple. They would show up 
up, knock on your door, you would pay them some money so that the temple could be repaired and maintained. So these were good guys in that society. Now, just imagine, this is what I thought about. Imagine if Christians all over the world, Christians online watching us, all over the world paid the bagel tax to New Life Community Church. Would we have enough funds to, to build whatever we wanted to build? Of course we would. We just want our people to give 10% of their income because that's what we think God teaches, but that's a story for another day. This was the temple tax. Any good Jew would pay it once a year. And so this was a very prosperous time to be the high priest. Now, the interesting thing is later, a few years later, whenever the temple is destroyed by the Romans, the Jews were required to pay their temple tax to the Romans. So that's adding insult to injury. We're gonna, we're gonna destroy you as a people. We're gonna require you to pay your temple tax, which no longer exists, to the Roman government. And, and this was such a prosperous time that before that, several uh, governors of Roman provinces tried to, to pass laws to make it illegal for Jews to send their money to uh, Jerusalem for the temple tax. This was, Caiaphas was well-connected politically. He was powerful. He was rich. He was large. And he was in charge until some rabbi named Jesus Josephson showed up. Somebody caught it. We'll explain. He was a Jewish rabbi from AD 30 until 33. Now, his last name was not Christ. I don't care what your granddad said whenever he stubbed his big toe or hit his thumb with a hammer. His last name was not Christ. Christ is a title. It's a Greek title that means anointed one. So Jesus the Christ, anointed one, that's not his last name. In Hebrew, it would have been Jesus Messiah. That's not his last name either. Messiah would have been the promised deliverer from the Old Testament. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. The best guess we had, actually somebody asked me, what is his last name? This is the best guess we would have had was Jesus Josephson. When I was a kid, I remember reading reading in my King James Bible, these words, I don't know why this stuck with me. Weird things, weird facts stick with me. So I read Simon bar Jonah. And as a kid, I thought bar Jonah, what does that mean? And it wasn't until later in my teenage years, I got a study Bible and it said bar Jonah means son of Jonah. So there were all these Simons running around and how you would differentiate between Simons. That's Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus would have been a very popular name. The, the actual term at that point would have been Yeshua, which was a form of the old Testament. Joshua, Joshua was a hero of the faith. So you're going to have all of these Joshua's running around in order to differentiate this Joshua or Yeshua from others. They would call him Joseph's son. You were referred to by your father's name, Jesus, Joseph's son. Now, the fact that Jesus was Joseph's son, that was not a threat to Caiaphas at all. Um, the fact that Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, that, didn't, that was no threat to Caiaphas. And the, and the fact that he taught these things, maybe some strange things to some of their ears, that wasn't a big deal at all. What Caiaphas saw as a threat when it came to Jesus was the crowds. Anyone drawing a crowd would get the attention of the Jewish religious leaders as well as the Roman government, but for different reasons. The Jewish religious leaders would want to, uh, they, they would see a crowd as a threat to their way of life if they didn't follow their teachings. The Roman government, they just wanted to keep the peace. And so anytime Jesus showed up, huge crowds showed up. The, the religious leaders were there to keep an eye on him and the Roman government was there to keep an eye on him. Now, part of the problem was Caiaphas and his posse, the chief priests and, and, and the rest of um, his posse, they never drew a crowd except for festival days. In the Old Testament, God told the, the Jewish men, especially, and, and many times they would take their families, to go to Jerusalem several times during the year for holy days. It was a day you could not work. You were supposed to go worship God at the festival. And I mean, it was a party. So who's not going to show up? No work. It's a party. We're going to go there. The people did not go there to see Caiaphas. They went there because God said it was a party day. And so the only time Caiaphas ever saw a crowd was on one of God's designed holy days until Jesus showed up. So they were 
jealous of Jesus' crowds. Another problem they had with Jesus is his authority. Now, in those days, a rabbi would quote his rabbi. So if I had a teacher, like one of my seminary teachers, I'd say, uh, well, well, Dr. McGorman says this, and that would supposedly give my teaching authority because this higher authority said it to me. So they would say, my rabbi says, or if you didn't know their rabbi, they would keep going, well, his rabbi, till you finally got to a famous rabbi, and that's what's supposed to give your teaching authority. Jesus didn't teach like that. Jesus said, I came down from heaven. My father and I are one, and this is my authority. It's from heaven. It's not from you. That infuriates infuriated them. Jealous of the crowds, they were furious that he wasn't under their authority. And then there was one other thing that bothered Caiaphas, and that was that Jesus criticized the religious leaders relentlessly. So what, uh, Caiaphas, what was Caiaphas's problem with Jesus? Cack. Crowds, authority, criticism. Cack. I'm just trying to help you remember it. So Caiaphas saw Jesus as a threat. He should have seen Jesus as a threat. Now, Jesus very often went on rants against the the religious leaders. And in Matthew 23, he goes on a rant. At the end of this rant, he says this to the religious leaders, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Do you know who he's talking to? The guys whose job, they they were part of the PRL, the Professional Religious League. They got paid to be good. Jesus is saying, you guys who are so good at being good, following the rules, you're going straight to hell. This is not the way to win friends and influence people. Cack bothers people. Caiaphas hated Jesus because of the crowds, because of his authority, because he criticized him relentlessly. Today, we're going to look at the final straw that causes Caiaphas to go over the edge and act against Jesus. And it's not a conversation. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't even a confrontation. What Jesus did was an act of compassion, and it caused Caiaphas to say he has to die because he did this. Now, Jesus raised someone from the dead in the city of Bethany. Do you know who it was? Oh, Lazarus. Thank you. Now, after Jesus raised, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, people began talking about it. And, and so you need to understand, Lazarus had, had died. He was in the tomb for four days. Next thing you know, he's walking around back from the dead. And if, if you want Jesus to just go away, oh, there's going to be no stopping him now because this guy in Bethany is raised from the dead. If the crowds were big before, they're going to be bigger now. And if Jesus was popular before, he's going to be even more popular now. Something had to be done. Now, understand, up until this point, their strategy with Jesus was try to discredit him. They would send guys to ask him questions. They wanted to try to trip him up, make him say something wrong, something against Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, or make him look bad. Because if they did that, they thought, well, the crowds will leave him. If the crowds leave Jesus, he's no longer a threat, and we don't have to worry about our way of life. Jesus would give some brilliant answer, make the questioner look foolish, and so so um, they, they, this strategy did not work. Now, John was an eyewitness to this. And in John chapter 12, we come to what he says here in verse 17. Now the crowd, there's that problem. The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, raised, when, he, when, uh, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. All right, religious leaders are like, just shut up already. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We get it. That's all you people talk about. It's all I would talk about if I saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. I kind of imagine you'd want to share that story as well. Um, and here's what you need to understand. I want you to see where uh, Bethany is on the map. 
All right, so you see right here is Bethany, and you see right here is the Mount of Olives, and you see right here is Jerusalem. Now, in Texas, if we saw something that far apart, we'd think it was a lot of miles between that. You know, it's going to take some time. Let me show you a picture. This is the Mount of Olives. If you ever go to Jerusalem, go to Israel, one of the things they're going to do is take you up on the Mount of Olives, and it's this whole mountain range. It's not a single mountain. It's this whole mountain range. And so down here's a church. Down here's the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll go up on the top, and you'll overlook the old city of Jerusalem, the walled city where the temple used to be. Here's a picture from the top of the, the Mount of Olives over here. That's the Dome of the Rock, which is the Muslim uh, shrine, supposedly built in the place where the temple used to be. And so you see that it's not far from the top of the Mount of Olives over to Jerusalem, right? You see that? Okay, go back to the map if you would, Travis. Here's Bethany. Here's the Mount of Olives. There's Jerusalem. It's going to be impossible to keep people from hearing about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead because it's way too close to Jerusalem. You understand the problem that the religious, oh no, we are in serious problem. Now, let me tell you this. The timing of God is remarkable. And, and yeah, just hang on, I got something I'm gonna read here I didn't even tell you about. Um, <laughs> so the timing of God is remarkable. This happens during um, a festival. Jesus has just had the triumphal entry where he comes into Jerusalem, where they wave the palm branches. They're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. They're calling him the Messiah. And so all of this happens at this time. Let me get down to verse nine. Helps if I can see. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came out, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well as kill Jesus, for on account of Lazarus, many Jews were going over to, Jerusalem, to Jesus and believing in him. They could not keep the story um, from, from getting out. All right, now verse 18. Many people, there's that, word, that, that phrase again, many people, because they heard that he had performed this sign, raising Lazarus, went out to meet him. So the religious leaders say, this is out of control. How do we stop it, this movement? How do we stop him, the creator of this movement? Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see this. Okay, this word, this. Our strategy up to this point, this strategy is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world is following you. Hear how they're whiny and they're jealousy. Whenever non-followers of Jesus in their, non, in their whiny, non-jealous, or their jealous way, whenever they prophesy the future, it kind of makes me laugh because the whole world, they're saying, the whole world, it's just a lot of people in Jerusalem. You hadn't seen anything yet. It, what's awesome is later in the book of Acts, Luke tells us that, that many priests and Pharisees become followers of Jesus. And this is remarkable because these guys were, were not just opposed to Jesus, they were openly hostile to him. They were in the meetings where they planned how they were gonna shut Jesus up so the crowds would stop following him. Those guys all of a sudden say, oh wait, Jesus was right all along, he is Lord. You, you wanna know why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. They couldn't explain the empty tomb, so they become followers. Now, in our small group, one of the things we do is we're sharing every week, um, somebody's telling their story of how they met Jesus, and I love hearing these stories. Imagine you've got these, these priests and these Pharisees who used to be hostile to Jesus. They're at your house for dinner, and they begin telling you, yeah, we were in those meetings, but now Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. That would be incredible to hear. It'd be the most remar remarkable news of that day that they had become followers of Jesus. Jesus. If you had told them while Jesus was alive, you're going to follow him, they'd said, you're nuts. We are opposing him. 
But not just followed, they followed Jesus in Jerusalem, the capital of the world of hating, resisting, shutting Jesus up. This is truly remarkable. And today, 2,000 years later, one-third of the world's population says, we follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord. The whole world is following it. They had no idea when they said these words how many people would become followers of Jesus. Now, immediately after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, John gives us a detail in John chapter 11. We're going to back up one chapter. It says, therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to know what it's there for. What this one is there for is Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him. We can't have that. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then, right after Jesus raised Lazarus. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. I need to tell you about the Sanhedrin. It was made up of 70 members, and it was made up of two groups of people who did not agree on anything. One group was called the Sadducees. Um, the Sadducees were the upper class. They were the, the rich, wealthy guys. They were the ones who the high priest was chosen from, and they had most of the seats in the 70-member council of Sanhedrin. Now, they, they were religiously, uh, they were politically motivated because they'd been appointed by Rome. They didn't really care much about the, the religious side of things. They did not believe that God was involved in your daily life. They did not believe in angels, demons. They did not believe in prayer. They did not believe in life after death. They believed that you live, you die, and that's it. And that's why they were so sad, you see. I'll, one day I'll retire that, but... Not today. Now, the other group was the Pharisees, and they disagreed with everything the Sadducees said. The Pharisees said, God's very involved in your daily life. There are angels. There are demons. There is life after death. They believed in prayer and all of the spiritual stuff. The Pharisees didn't have as many seats on that Sanhedrin, but they were more popular with the common people because the, the Pharisees were middle class. They weren't upper class. And so sometimes, even though they had fewer seats, the sads had to go along with the fairs just to keep the peace, and that wasn't fair, you see. Uh, today is not the day that I retire that. Now, I want you to understand these two groups coming together. It would be like the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Supreme Court gathering together and agreeing on something. How many of you think that's going to happen? Jesus was such a threat to their way of life that they said, we will put aside all of our differences to stop him. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That was, that was the way they looked at things. So here's what they say in verse 47b. What are we accomplishing? What are we accomplishing with our strategy of trying to trick Jesus, they ask. Here this man is performing miracles, many signs. So the idea is we're trying to trick him with head knowledge. The dude's working miracles. We cannot compete with that. Next verse. If we let him go on, what are you going to do to someone who raises the dead? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then, then what? See, I think deep down the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the Sadducees, they knew, they knew to resist Jesus was to resist God. Because common men all the time said, to the religious leaders, if this man was not from God, how could he do these incredible things? So instead of arguing that, they'd say, he's not from God, he's from Nazareth. That was, that was a criticism, that was a put down. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Palestine? 
Can the savior of the world come out of Palestine? Can the savior of the world come out of, they would put him down like that. These religious, powerful, wealthy men said, we're not giving up what we cherish the most to worship him. My kingdom is greater than his kingdom. That's what brings us to the word then. My kingdom is greater than his kingdom. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. We're going to lose everything if we don't shut this guy up. And that was their true motivation. I just got to tell you that anytime, every time I put God first, it costs me something. Every time we go to Haiti, my family goes to Haiti. There's four of us go to Haiti. That's a lot of money to go to Haiti. We have to give up time. We have to give up planning. We sleep on, on mattresses, air mattresses on a concrete floor. And if we're lucky, the generator works the whole week and we get fans at night, no air conditioning at night. But it's one of my favorite things to do is go to the country of Haiti. And, and it costs me to do that. Now, some people, and, and uh, some people don't want to come to church because it's going to cost them some time on Sunday mornings. And, and if, you, if you want to see my wife angry, I heard somebody this week who, who knew Janie from years ago, they said, we don't think Janie's ever been angry. I'm like, <laughs> you just don't know. Um, my sweet little wife, if you want to see fire, fly from, fire, fly, fire come out of her eyes, use this excuse for not coming to church, especially if you're scheduled to work. She'll say, the, the, the excuse that I've heard more often than not is, Sunday is my only day for me. Fire will come from her eyes. And if you say that to me, my first question will be, then what day do you set aside for Jesus? Well, if it's Jesus or me, I'm going to choose me. All I'm going to do is, is I'm going to tell you, you need to remember that choice on the day you stand before Jesus. Correction, the day you kneel before Jesus. Because Philippians chapter 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. On heaven, in heaven, earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not the moment you want to say, oh, maybe I should have made time for Jesus. You want to do it before then. In order to go to youth group on Wednesday night, students will have to give up some time. I just don't have that much time. In fact, what you're really saying is you don't have any time to give to Jesus. Well, then don't get upset with Jesus when he doesn't have time for you. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 21. I remember, Travis. I forgot this in the first service. Travis always reminds me of what I forget in the first service. Jesus said this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus said, you love me, you obey. Jesus said, you're supposed to go to church regularly. In fact, he said it should be a habit. Don't give up the habit of assembling together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day approaching. The end of the world approaching should be a time when more and more people are gathering in the presence of God to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. But, but, but I'm single, and, and if I follow God, it's going to cost me too much. I'm going to have to change something. I'm going to have to give something up. I'll have to date Christians if I put God first. Do you know how many cute Christians there are? Almost none. I'll, I'll settle down. Whatever. <laughs> Were you a Christian before or after you started dating Jamie? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. She was a Christian, but uh -huh. he's telling me to stick with my script. Don't, don't talk unless you... <clears throat> I read this this week, and I, I thought this was relevant to what we're talking about. So in my study of Ruth, this is a, a commentary by Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite 
commentators. And he talked about one time he and his wife were in uh, Springfield, Illinois, and they decided to go to Abraham Lincoln's house. And listen to what you have to do. If you want to go to Abraham Lincoln's house, here's what you would have to do. In order to get in, we, had, we each had to have a ticket that could only be bought at one place. It wasn't convenient. You don't go online. There's one place. You buy a ticket. You don't have a ticket. You don't get in. Um, we had to follow the guide and not deviate from the route of the tour. So you couldn't go this way. If the guide said go this way, you go this way, or you're removed from the premises. And then my favorite one, last but not least, we had to deposit our chewing gum in a container outside the house. If we wanted to see Mr. Lincoln's house, we had to conform to the rules. If you want the blessing of God, you have to conform to his rules. They're not my rules. They're God's rules. He's the one that has established them. These guys, rather than conform to God's rules, they, they have a meeting. What should we do with this guy who just raised someone from the dead? Now, think about this. By this time, Jesus has already fed the 5,000 with a happy meal. Here's your sign that someone spectacular is on the planet if he can take a happy meal and feed 5,000 men. By this time, Jesus is healed. Blind people, deaf people, the lame, uh, a leper, a woman who had some type of hemorrhage for 12 years. Remember, she reached out, touched the hem of his garment, and power came out of Jesus. She was healed immediately. Here's your sign that someone spectacular is on the planet. And what caused this meeting of the Sanhedrin? Jesus raised Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days. Here's your stinking sign that someone spectacular is on the planet. Rather than try to silence him, seems to me the smartest thing would be to do is get in line and follow him. The only reason we still talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and Caiaphas is to say, don't be like them. We finally meet Caiaphas in verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up and said, you know nothing at all. I don't think he said it in a nice way. He'd heard enough of their little arguing, their little bickering. He was about to share his infinite wisdom with these sorry individuals. You do not realize that it's better for you. Hey, rich, powerful, self-absorbed guys, I'm about to tell you what's in your best interest because obviously you don't know. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die. Our previous strategy of trying to trip him up with questions, that's gone. He's got to die now. And he's going to die for the people. It's not about us. It's all about the people. It's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. If we get rid of this one guy, our way of life, no, 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 it's bigger than that. Our nation's way of life will be saved. And at that moment, they put on the national anthem. Oh, say, can you? It's about the nation. Woo, we rally for the nation. John is writing this years later. John is the last of the disciples alive. Um, to live. He's writing this and he's looking back and he gives a little commentary on why Caiaphas said this in verse, verses 51 and 52. He, Caiaphas, did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. The whole world will follow him. They had no idea what they were saying. John had to be grinning when he was writing it. Their new strategy, not trying to trick him up with questions, their new strategy is we're going to resist him out of existence. And they learned the hard way. When you resist Jesus, you actually assist God's plan. You cannot stop God's plan. When you resist, you actually assist. Because see, the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, God planned to send Jesus to rescue us from our sinfulness, from the effects of our sin. Instead of shutting him up, their plan actually 
multiplied the influence of Jesus. I mean, think about it. They just thought Lazarus' resurrection was going to cause a lot of people to follow. Now, when Jesus rises from the dead, massive numbers of people will follow. And, and here's what I want you to understand in this whole series. Your life and mine will be illustrations of God's power regardless of whether we follow or not. If we deny ourselves and we say yes to God regardless of the cost, we will be associated with heroes of the faith. John the Baptist, one of those heroes, he said, he must become greater, I must become less. Or he, he says about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. If you just had that as the theme for your life, you would be a hero of the faith. And somebody someday in heaven would come up to you and say, thank you for showing me Jesus. If you do not say yes, to, if you say no to God, you resist and you hold on to what you have, then you're going to be associated with the zeros of the faith. Either way, God's power will not be stopped. Our lives will illustrate God's power. Yes, even though it costs me. No, it costs me too much. Whether you choose to follow or not, if you say yes, you're going to be a positive example of God's power. If you say no, you're not going to diminish God's power. You'll just look foolish. Verse 53. So from that day on, they plan to take his life. And this is some of the three of the most comical words, I think, in Scripture. They're going to take his life. Because let me show you what Jesus said one chapter before that, back in John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking. He said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. They're going to take his life? Nope, nope. You do not take the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. You do not take his life. He said, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority. There's another word that bothered them. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So you know the story. We're about, to, we're about to celebrate Easter in just a few weeks. Jesus was crucified, and the nation of Israel was saved. Everything went back to normal like it was before Jesus became popular. The nation wins for a little over 36 hours because on the first day of the week after Passover, there's a commotion out in the streets in Jerusalem. Somebody tells a servant of Caiaphas, and he comes running in, and he said, Sir... The body of Jesus is missing. What do you mean missing? Um, sir, it means it's gone. I think Caiaphas is thinking there must be a logical explanation. Well, sir, there are reports that people have seen him alive, raised from the dead. Well, that's not logical. Sir, it gets worse than that. There's one report that 500 people were gathered in one place when Jesus, raised from the dead, stood in front of them. That's definitely not logical. And what's crazy is 50 days later, remember when Jesus was arrested and he was crucified, his, his disciples scattered. In fact, the first time he appears to them, they're hiding in an upper room because they're afraid of the Jews. 50 days later, when the, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt among them, the cowards come out of hiding in Jerusalem and they say, you crucified him. We've seen him alive. God raised him. We've seen him alive. Now say you're sorry. And the Jews were sorry, not because they killed him. They were sorry because now followers, people started following Jesus' followers in record numbers. They didn't destroy his influence. They multiplied his influence. And here's the crazy thing. Three years later, Caiaphas loses his job. He is deposed by Rome. The thing he tried to hold on to so tightly, he loses it within three years. 37 years after this, the temple is destroyed by the Romans. 
and the Jewish nation ceases to exist for almost 2,000 years. It wasn't until May of 1948 that there became an Israelite nation again. You see, what, what they all realized too late is what happened to them is what happens to anyone who tries to resist Jesus. They become a footnote. See, Jesus Josephson, Jewish rabbi, savior of the world, the only reason we know Caiaphas' name is because he tried to resist Jesus, and by doing that, he actually assisted God's plan to save the world. Is there any Caiaphas in you? Here's what he tried to do. Preserve my kingdom at all costs. You're like, no, 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 there's not any of that in me. I read this week that uh, Stephen Hawking died. And, and, and I, I feel sorry for his family. I know he overcame great odds. He was, a, he was a brilliant man. But my very first thought was, I wonder how surprised Stephen Hawking was when he stood before or kneeled before Jesus Christ. Because Stephen Hawking said, there is no God. And as far as I know, Stephen Hawking hasn't come back from the dead. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe the one who died and was raised again, not the one who's still in the tomb. See, there's some, there's some Caiaphas in you because you're trying to preserve some relationship at all costs. You're trying, to, you're trying to preserve some job at all costs. You'll do anything for that job. You'll give up anything. In fact, you'll pray to God something like this. Dear God, help me out or get out. Whatever you've replaced God with in your life, is losing its value and its significance as we speak. You talk to anybody who's been alive more than, more than a decade or two, <laughs> and they'll tell you their greatest regret involves trying to hold on to something or someone that's no longer even involved in their lives. It was slipping away even while they were trying to hold on to it so tightly. That's the story of Caiaphas. I want my power, I want my wealth, I want my position. All of that was going to be gone within three years, and he didn't see it. There's a reason for that. Whatever you're trying to hold on to that's not God, you're going to lose it, and it's because little gods always disappoint. Anything other than God is a lowercase g God. It's an idol in your life, and it's slipping away. And the pressure to preserve what you have will cause you to do self-destructive things. In the end, it won't be worth it. Caiaphas actually had access to the oldest existing copy of the Old Testament law written by Moses in which it very clearly stated, thou shalt not murder. But in order to try to preserve his life, hold on to his position, Caiaphas killed an innocent man. <laughs> now don't think you're a whole lot better than Caiaphas. Because our capacity to do evil is almost unlimited when we're trying to hold on to something in the place of God. Lying, gossip, slander, theft, adultery, murder, it's a progressive thing. All happen when we try to hold on to something that's already losing its value and its power in our lives. When we sub substitute that for God, it's temporary, it's slipping away. The younger you are, the more important it is for you to ask the question that Peter posed last week in the last of our follow series. Peter said to Jesus, to whom will we go? If, if not you, Jesus, to whom will we go? If not Christianity, to what? You need to answer that question. The reason is that you can, you can make it right. 
want you to ask this question because you have a chance to make it right. Those of us who are, I'm 53 and I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. We want you to learn from us. And I read this years ago and I want you to understand this. It is wise to learn from your mistakes. Everybody agree with that? Here's the thing I read that's even better. It's wiser to learn from the mistakes of others. Spread them around. Let someone else feel the pain. Look at that and go, I do not want to go there. It's wiser to learn from the mistakes of others. So those of us who've been alive a little, time, a little bit of time, we're telling the younger people, learn from us. Little gods will always disappoint. But I also want you to learn this. Little gods will always disappear. In fact, while you're trying to hold on to them right now, they are slipping through your fingers. And someday they will not even be a part of your life and you'll look back with regret because you put that little God in the place of the only God. Now I want you to, I want you to see this. Saying yes to God will cost you, but saying no will cost you more. So here's my question as we finish today. What is it that you're praying this? God help me save blank. And if you don't, I'm done with you. Whatever is in that blank, whatever you're filling that blank with is a little God that is already disappearing from your life and it will leave you disappointed. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you help us be ruthlessly, ruthlessly honest with you and with ourselves about what we're trying to put in place of you. Our society is, is making it more and more difficult to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. W when we are fully devoted, God, we should shine like the stars in the heaven, reflecting your glory, reflecting your ways to a world that's increasingly in the dark. God, raise up some people who want to follow you regardless of the cost. Raise up some heroes of the faith in Palestine, in Anderson County, who will hold as tightly to you as they've held to anything in their life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.